Welcome to Bamsey's Manity First Podcast. I am Chris Ryan along with Peter Evers, and we're going to focus on a really important topic today, which in my view should be the future of healthcare, and that is population health, a goal um, and an idea that is based upon outcomes and the whole health of a individual and therefore a community, a population. And we're going to be joined by Barbara Fearing, who um, is an expert on this and within BAMSI's organization. And we have a, a program which, in my view, um, could be used uh, as a, a model for how population health can, can work in many other different facets, as we welcome in Peter Evers, our CEO here at BAMSI. Peter, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Chris. How are you doing? Good. So first off, define population health and its significance, and what are we doing here that is innovative and replicable? Yeah, so it's a good question. Population health, um, it's the word, the term has been around for a long time. If you think back to the HMOs of the 1980s, it was this idea of, and back then it was the idea of, we've got to control costs. Really, that was the driving uh, issue in America at the time. Uh, not necessarily the health outcomes of people, but real population health marries those two things together. It says, how can you provide a system of care that integrates every aspect of the human condition and aspects outside of the human conditions, such as what are the things that are going on in that person's environment that affect the health outcomes for that for that person, that community and that population. So really it's the coming together of a thought process that says, if I provide this level of care in coordination with these other experts, I will get better outcomes and I'll flatten the cost curve of the, pop, of the health of the population. And the outcome is that you have um, a lower uh, mortality rate for some of those chronic illnesses that are killing people in vulnerable populations, such as diabetes, such as mental health issues, such as COPD, when you think about people who are making choices to smoke, that kind of thing. It's not, it's not just looking at the individual and that health, which is really important, but the individual of our community and our country as a, as a whole. Right now, our healthcare system is based upon what is wrong right then and how do we fix it as quickly as possible. And it does not focus on the why. And the why is so important because if you don't address the why, you're not addressing future health situations. Or if a person is eating because they are depressed and you say, okay, well, we're not going to, we're going to, you need to cut down your weight. Your cholesterol is too high. Okay, so how is that person going to offset the depression? They're still not addressing the core issue of what their behavior is. And, you know, that is, Basically, what we have um, created in our society is we give medication, uh, and we don't really ever get to, in my view, the the why. Why is this person, um, you know, in uh, in my doctor's office today? It's just how to fix it, and um, what is the problem? And until we get to the why, um, we're going to continue to not have the best outcomes, but we're also not going to have the best quality of life for the individual. Yeah, I think there's so many things that we have to address. In medicine, you know, a physician will say, 
if there's something wrong with you, I'll fix it. Our reimbursement system is really interesting in the same regard. And I'll give you an example. I used to work in emergency psychiatric crisis in Boston. And we used to get an incredible rate to do an emergency evaluation of somebody who was homicidal or suicidal. It was around about $700, I think, just for that one intervention. But if I wanted to see somebody for a therapeutic intervention in the long term, I'd get $55 for that hour. That is, in some ways, that speaks to, yep, we'll, we'll pay you well when that person is in uh, far along a crisis stage, but we'll pay you nothing in order to help that person through so they don't get to a crisis situation. That's what medicine is sort of has been really reimbursed for and recognized for. Um, and we need to really change that. We need to flip that on its head so that we're doing more prevention than we are curing. How do reimbursement rates get changed in your view? They get changed. Um, we're going to hear about this. They get changed through um, the idea of demonstration waivers that say, OK, so we're, traditionally we paid you X amount for X intervention. What happens if we gave you a bunch of money and said, here's some money, do what you think will get the best outcome. So you do that, you get a better outcome, you stack it up against the old volume-based code and you say, yes, it's actually getting better outcomes of health for that community and it's cheaper, therefore Medicaid or Medicare will change that code to reflect the good uh, intervention. Is there any possibility of private healthcare models surpassing the current system. As an example, you know, I've talked before about how I feel a, a one-stop shop, if you will, for your healthcare, a place where you have your, um, your primary care physician, a um, clinician to deal with mental health issues, an eye doctor, a dentist, um, a gym, a healthy eating um, facility, all kind of combined in one peer support at, in those aspects as well. Groups get together and they exercise or they talk about their mental health issues or um, whatever the case may be. And you basically have a membership to that and you pay X amount of money in and, you know, you would need kind of catastrophic type of health care. But instead of paying for your health care, you pay for this model. Is there any chance that the given how much money is in health care, that individuals will establish their own alternative health care mechanisms to what the current system is and that is a way that change takes place. You'd have to erode a lot of the existing models before you could do that. Now, I, I will tell you that there are places and people who do offer that on an individual basis. There are doctors uh, in our communities who have opted out completely. Natu n natural uh, physicians yeah. and, and chiropractors yeah. and things of yeah. that nature. Yeah, but also primary care primary physicians. Primary care physicians as well. Okay. Um, and, and you can buy into that. And yes, you need, you, you're absolutely right. You would need some sort of ca catastrophic healthcare coverage. But those are little examples of how things are changing. And I do think that the insurance companies are beginning to see this, the, the, n not the public ones, but the Cigna's and the Aetna's are beginning to see, wow, if we, if we practice preventative care, there's a lower cost down the road. So do you get money off your health insurance if you go to a gym? That's a small example of how you're re-engineering the process to reward people for paying attention to their health so that the emergency department visit is not necessary. So we're going to hand things over to Peter now, who's going to introduce today's guest here on the Bamsey Humanity First podcast. Hi, everybody. And this morning, um, we are very privileged to have with us uh, on the podcast, Bob. Fairing, 
who is um, the director of our, essentially, of our population health program. Um, and she um, has been head of our, what we, well, we'll get into it, the 1115 waiver program um, for the past couple of years, I think. I think we're now into about year four of the pro- project. Is that right, Barbara? Yes. Operationally, we're about two and a half years into the project at this point, but the, the seed had started before that, obviously. That's right. So um, thank you so much for being on with us this morning, and, and I'm really looking forward to a conversation about the program, but also about how this came about and some of the thinking in the in the public health world at the moment around this idea of providing services that get results rather than services that are billed by, um, billed by volume. Uh, and it is a big change in the world of healthcare uh, that we're seeing at the moment. And I'm, re- I'm really interested to hear what your ideas are and what your thoughts are on this whole idea of medicine accepting the idea of behavioral health interventions through care coordination. Um, and you live every day in that world, which is incredibly complicated, as everything in healthcare in America is, but complicated, I think, in the right direction. So maybe we could start, Barbara, by talking a little bit about the program, um, what the components are, and then we'll broaden out a little bit to population health. Sure, absolutely. Um, so BAMSI has um, embarked on this new journey and the process of integrated care, um, which is a fairly recent innovation in mass health um, programming. Um, and so in July of 2018, we went, quote unquote, live uh, with some new models of care. Um, and the programs that I'm referring to are called community partner programs. We have um, actually two community partner programs that Banzi has been part of, um, and the Massachusetts design is to have two distinct um, populations being served by each of the community partner programs. One is our long-term support and services community partner program, which we partner with Seven Hills to provide those services to the Southeast area members of MassHealth. Um, there are all together in the state, there are 13, uh, excuse me, eight LTSS community partner programs, and so BAMSI is part of the one here in the Southeast area, um, and that is called the Massachusetts Coordinated Care Network, and we are happy to be able to provide care to approximately, um, rolling enrollment is about six to 800 individuals assigned to us here in the Southeast for that program. And the other distinct population that we're serving is the behavioral health population, and that uh, Mass Health has developed 18 different behavioral health community partner programs, of which BAMSI is part of the care coordination network. And so um, we do that behavioral health community partner work with our program lead um, and agency is High Point. But we also have several other partners here in the Southeast, like Child and Family Services from New Bedford, um, Duffy Health Center, Brockton Neighborhood Health Center, um, Bay State Community Services, as well as Stepping Stones. So um, we do cover a large area um, from the... um, Quincy, Braintree area, all the way down to the Cape, um, and so that is um, right now where probably full enrollment all together in CCN is probably about 2,500 um, people that we're serving. Here at BAMSI, we have about 350 assigned to us, 
um, at our location. And really so the, the so overview of um, the program came from, um, you know, many years of work with MassHealth looking at the um, current state of their payers um, prior to this new in initiation. And, you know, prior to this, we had um, really just a few, a handful of MassHealth providers that were really overseeing the mental health care in the state of Massachusetts. Um, and they were really just um, parsed out and nobody talked to each other. And, um, you know, I think that with this new model, um, based in July of 2018, in addition to the community partner programs, MassHealth also rolled out opportunities for new um, accountable care organizations to kind of throw their hat in the ring um, and be able to participate in um, contracting providers and um, really managing their own network of um, health care providers and behavioral health providers. So, um, you know, we're about two and a half years in, so we're really at uh, an infant stage still um, in terms of what this is going to look like um, for the future. What's really interesting to me, Barbara, is that this that what you've just described is a network of services, a service delivery system where, you know, the medical side in terms of the ACOs, the accountable care organizations, are working with the community providers and care coordination providers and those long-term services and support providers um, in a way that perhaps they never have done before. And anybody who's been in the health system in America for the last 20 maybe 30 years, understands that usually those organized work, uh, organizations work in silos, that they don't necessarily speak. I mean, the, Chris and I have talked about this a lot when we talk about substance use disorder, that somebody post-surgery is um, prescribed an opiate um, completely in the dark, not knowing that somebody might or might not have had um, a long-term addiction issue, that there might be in long-term recovery. The, the excitement if you uh, go to the doctor and you're having a cough and they'll give you codeine or something like that and there's not that crossover that takes place where the the patient may not even know what is in the the substance and very often you know if you do have substance misuse you're in tune to those types of things but a lot of times people have reactions and not quite understand what is is what and it's just routinely prescribed uh, for individuals yeah and that's a really good example of how um, you know, public health sort of uh, researchers suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, think, well, why aren't they talking to each other? And surely if we did that, we'd get away from just delivering a service and billing for it towards a coordinated system of care that recognized the whole individual and not the illness. And in that way, we'd be able to provide coordinated care right across the spectrum of those health care needs. That, I think, is the vision of what you're doing at the moment. Uh, a couple of questions. Do you feel on the behavioral health side that the medical providers, the, the, the health care providers, are beginning to sit up and take notice of the interventions that behavioral health expertise is delivering to their patients in a way that perhaps they hadn't been doing before because – with these um, with these waivers that we're working with mass, mass with mass health, um, we're beginning to find that those interventions have an effect on the overall health of people altogether. Just on the, on a day to day basis, are you seeing that the importance of behavioral health has been raised? Um, you know, in this new way of doing business. 
I think that's a, a great question, Peter. And, you know, historically I've been in the, the mental health, behavioral health field for quite some time now and um, primarily with children and families. And, you know, I've always scratched my head about, well, why didn't the doctor know that you have, you know, major depression, you know, to a mom who's sitting with their infant um, who I'm there intervening with. Um, and, you know, they never asked me. Um, you know, they go for their six-week follow-up after having a child. And, you know, back, you know, say even seven years ago, they weren't doing postpartum depression screening. It just wasn't part of, um, you know, a billable code that um, obstetricians were using. And so over the course of time, um, I think there were some really small pilot programs here in Massachusetts to try to do some integrated care work. Um, and, you know, the little studies that were done and the published, um, you know, I think the primary care doctors are now starting to see, as, as you mentioned, Peter, um, that the people that are out in the community with their patients really know them um, a lot better, the contextual part of their life that is missing when they just show up for, you know, a 15, 30-minute doctor's appointment. And so you have a care coordinator who is visiting a home of somebody with chronic mental illness and, you know, has been involved in many different systems and agencies and providers um, for the, the course of their lifetime, oftentimes, you know, those people with schizophrenia and more of the thought disorders. Um, and the primary care doctor has never stepped foot in their house or, you know, seen their their uh, family or talked to their family in the way that our care coordinators do. Um, and so. I'll just give you a little story of, of one of the um, women that we had um, in our program, and she's still we're still serving her. Um, she has had um, you know many different service providers, um, very chronic um, mental illness as well as some other health conditions, um, had refused to go to a primary care doctor for years, you know, um, and it was frustrating to the the community behavioral health providers too because they indeed need that you know health information as well. Um, but because she had um, the symptoms of her mental health were, you know, barriers for her getting to the doctor's office, she had a care coordinator who she worked with. And part of our program, of course, is integrating care. And so in order for, you know, in our payment model, we have to have a care plan signed by a primary care physician. Um, or that is a rule out for our program because we are supposed to, that's why we're here, integrating care. Um, and so when the care coordinator had this conversation with this woman that, you know, she was, had great goals, um, the care coordinator had helped her with some things that she needed for her home care, um, as well as coordinated with her, um, you know, community providers on a regular basis, um, she was able to, through this relationship, this woman did not want to lose her care coordinator because she saw the value of it. Um, and so the care coordinator was able to work with a primary care physician's office to kind of expedite an appointment to get her in there um, and then did some, some coaching with her providers and with her, and she actually attended the appointment. First time in at least five years that she had been from a, for a well-person checkup. So I think that is one of our huge successes um, and purely speaks to this person's relationship with the care coordinator and, of course, the primary care physician um, you know, hadn't seen her in years. So, you know, it was great to see her catch up, um, you know, ended up finding some more chronic health conditions she needed treat, treatment for. But through the work of that care coordinator, of course, early intervention for any type of chronic health condition is always, you know, key for the recovery components. 
And so she really um, did her due diligence with this woman to um, ensure that she was attending her, her other appointments that she needed to follow up and, and really provided with our, our nursing staff some health and wellness coaching um, about, you know, the rationale as to why it's important um, and, you know, the benefits that she would have health-wise um, for her long-term care if she were to complete these additional follow-up appointments. Um, and, you know, it was the primary care doctor didn't know that, you know, this woman lived by herself, has no family, had never had children or was never had a partner. Um, you know, the care coordinator could explain to the primary care physician the, you know, the, the hoarding situation in the home and, you know, her hygiene habits um, to really make this person come alive. And I think the primary care physician really saw this woman in a different light, um, you know, really got to see who this woman was um, through this interaction with our care coordinator. Um, and, you know, this stories like this are happening every day and, you know, the population was serving, but this was just really one that stands out to me. Um, and her community base providers are very thankful for our care coordinator because, you know, they don't often have a chance to go to her home, you know, because she's been very closed and not welcome people into her home like she did our care coordinator. So um, I think that just speaks for, you know, the, the patients and the relationship building that the care coordinators have to do as well as knowing the resources available for the, the population they're serving. I want to br bring this back to kind of more of a, a big picture type of um, discussion. And I think that we can all recognize and understand and if individuals became more aware of what population health means and how our healthcare system doesn't work, you know, we'd all want to get to a place where there's you know, true parity in Healthcare, where your doctor was one that had the ability to access um, information that is pertinent and would allow for better care and really the building of, of a relationship. And we had an outcome-based approach. So how do we, and this is for, for both of you, how do we get to that point and how far away are we from, from getting there? And I think a lot of the um, healthcare system has been stagnant as a result of the debates that have taken place about what healthcare is going to look like. Whether there's going to be, you know, a Medicare for all. Whether the Republicans were going to have a plan which, um, you know, further uh, utilized the free market economy. To me, it's always going to be kind of this this hybrid that exists currently, and action is going to need to take place in order for it to to change. And generally, you know, in these types of environments. Uh, the changes occur as a result of the public and business coming together and demanding that there be change to something that doesn't work. Right now, you know, there seems to be a complacency about the healthcare system, which doesn't occur in any other aspect of our society. Where if um, you know hotel prices are too high, then you you have a website or an app that that combines them all, and you can find the price that's the best. But that doesn't happen in healthcare, both in terms of cost or in terms of quality of care. There's not those metrics of evaluation that you would have even for what place you're going to go out to dinner. That doesn't exist in the healthcare industry. So kind of a big question, but we want to get to a place where there's better quality care and where the care is um, focused upon you know, what uh, is best for each individual. So for both of you, uh, and I guess we'll start with Peter, how far away are we from a population health-based approach, and what does it gonna, what is it going to take for us to to get there? Wow, <clears throat> that's a boil the ocean question. Um, 
You know, I, it's funny actually because as Barbara was telling that story, I, uh, I was sort of reminded of that million points of light sort of uh, analogy that all over, <clears throat> all over the place people are experimenting. There are these demonstration waivers that happen in the country that are showing that if you do things differently in terms of an outcome-based model that shows, uh, that shows there's real um, re recovery and there's a real improvement in health outcomes, it's irresistible. The problem is, Chris, I think from my point of view, is that um, m medicine and health have been weaponized by both of the political parties. So you get Medicare for all, it's called socialist or socialized medic, um, uh, medicine. Um, and then on the other side, you know, it's the drug companies and uh, it's big pharma and insurance companies and large hospital groups that are um, wringing the profits out of the healthcare system. And so that complacency is actually paralysis in some ways, if you ask me, because we can't get beyond that. I think the answer to your question lies in the work that Barbara's program is doing, demonstrating better health, health outcomes for vulnerable populations, then bleeds into, I think, excuse the healthcare expression, uh, bleeds into the rest of the population. And people are going to want some of that. They're going to say, you know what, I, my p uh, primary care physician doesn't know me. You know, I've told numerous stories about the fact that my primary care physician is completely uninvolved with my care, <laughs> and that replicates all over the place. But if that primary care physician knows there's a care coordinator out there who does visit the house, who gets a big, a wider perspective of what's going on and the social determinants of health with that individual, then we get better outcomes. And I'll, I'll throw, I'll pitch that one back to you, Barbara. That, that, that's Just my feeling. One thing uh, before we get to yeah. Barbara. To me, the social determinants of health are so important because it gets to the why. And, you know, the person's there and, like, your, your cholesterol is up, Chris, and that's it. Like, you're gonna, you have an idea of how to get it down? Yeah, I'm going to exercise more and I'm going to eat better. Okay, good. <laughs> that's, that's, basically, yeah, that's, that's basically – that's basically – Peter, you're, you're drinking a little bit too much. Um, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to drink less. Oh, good idea, Peter. It's not, well, why is Peter drinking or why is Chris eating or how much is he exercising or, you know, what's his, what's his life like? Is he working too much? Um, there's not that time for the, or the care really for that deep dive. And, you know, Peter and I have talked about this before, where I feel like the future of, um, of healthcare is an entity that provides pretty much everything in one place where you have, uh, a, a doctor and a primary care physician, a psychologist, um, a gym, um, a healthy eating program, like everything that you need, a one-stop shop for everything in your in your life so that you can go there and whether it's a, a physical place or a, um, a technical uh, place, um, and you're able to checkmark all the different things in your life that you need and create an environment where there's cross-checking of how everything occurs. What's the, what is your marital situation? What is your partner status? Uh, have you had a death in the family? What's your work situation where everything is compiled into that and you do the deep dive and learn the human being? To me, that's what you know, the social determinants of health is. Who is this person? And not am I not what is their statistic and what am I looking at in terms of their uh, what do I hear in their heartbeat? What do I look at and when I see their uh, their blood work come back? But what is this person about? Who are they as an individual? 
Yeah, and I mean, I think Barbara, again, you know, speak to that as well, because I I do think, I mean, no pressure, but these demonstration projects really are about wrapping around the individual, the entire service system, so that everybody knows what's going on. Yes, indeed, that is the goal of the program. And I think, you know, um, to Chris's point, uh, you know, some of the perceived barriers that I continue to, to experience um, you know, in the program is, um, and I think it's an, a historic piece, and I think it speaks directly to what Chris was talking about, is, you know, the, the computer systems, the claims data, the quality metrics, all of the things that need to pull the strings together um, are still a bit frayed, um, and we still need to continue through this type of programming and, you know, other program pro- programming for the larger population and not just the mass health population, really need to kind of come in tune with exactly the, the ideal um, health facility or overall wellness facility that Chris was mentioning. I do know that some of the federal health homes, um, such as Brockton Neighborhood Health, um, this um, Health First done in Fall River, um, you know, some of those federal health homes, they do have, it's a one-stop shop. You know, they have, um, you know, behavioral health, they have um, eye you know, eyewear, you can go get an eye exam, there's the dentist there, you know, your, your obstetrician's there, your pediatrician's there, your primary care physician is there. Um, some of the federal health homes are really, um, you know, targeting a, a global, um, you know, population health approach. Um, but that, you know, that doesn't speak to Dr. Smith, who's, you know, in an isolated pod in, you know, 722 Belmont Street, you know, um, where somebody goes to the isolated Dr. Smith's office and Dr. Smith isn't, you know, being able to talk to, you know, psychiatrist Dr. Betty or counselor, you know, Barbara. Um, you know, there's, and the other part is, um, you know, speaking of some of the barriers in terms of the, what's still getting in the way of this full seamless um, systems of care is, um, you know, a lot of the times um, there's barriers to um, reimbursement. So, you know, as a therapist, if I see an adult client, you know, I can't just, I can, if I want to, you know, take a hit financially, I can call a primary care physician and spend 15 to 30 minutes of my time that I'm not getting reimbursed by talking to them. Now, if I'm a child therapist and I call a primary care clinician, this is under the MassHealth um, rules, I can then go ahead and call the primary care physician. I can talk to them about what I'm doing and treatment and you know, possible exploring, um, you know, medication management, and I can bill for that, you know. Um, so there's a, still a little bit of um, disparity when it comes to, you know, the ages and the stages of life and the systems of care that are being offered in it. Um, you know, that's kind of a, a bigger picture, um, you know. And then, you know, some of the data that we're actually now being able to see in our platforms now in our electronic health record systems is, you um, you know, we get all of MassHealth claims for our members. I can open up a member record right now and click on their MassHealth claims. I can see the last five providers they saw, the last five codes that were billed, and the last five medications that the person um, was prescribed and when they last refilled them. Um, so in my opinion, our primary care um, clinicians, I don't know if they have that same system or if they've made that investment in their electronic health record system like our community partner programs have done. Um, And so with that bit of information now, when we are, as community partners, talking to our primary care physicians, um, you know, to 
update them, to send a care plan, to request, you know, what information they have for the person, we can have those conversations. You know, I see they take, you know, Clauseril. Um, do you know who the prescriber is? You know, if, if it's somebody we haven't been able to find yet um, for our program, you know, we might be able to say, well, well Dr. Smith prescribes that. Well, okay, well, let me give Dr. Smith a call. Um, so little by little, um, we are making some inroads to um, have, like, this global health, um, population health, like Chris had mentioned, those types of sites. They are existent, um, but they're far and few between, and, you know, we still have a long ways to go with that. I think that's really useful information um, because, in my view, from whether it's a specific aspect of the population or the general population, I think that that really is the future of healthcare. Whether it is again tied together by a physical location or tied together uh, via technology, um, that aspect of whole care is what's needed. And even when you look at larger entities, it still doesn't include mental health. It doesn't include the dentist. Um, those are aspects which are separate and also putting things into place, you know, having a place where you go and you work out and then you can check in with um, somebody on your mental health and you can have group activities, peer support activities that take place. There's so many different act activities, ideas, and that's, you know, just not something that has come to fruition yet, but I think is the future of healthcare. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, what you're describing, Barbara, and, and, you know, we didn't talk much about the reimbursement system, but if we don't fix that, you know, we won't fix the national debt. Yeah. I mean, we will not. The rising curve of healthcare is is what the national debt, I mean, set aside COVID, but, but uh, all things considered. But we have a billing system that rewards multiple encounters it doesn't reward somebody getting better exactly and we're on a platform of volume-based care practicing value-based care and that's the difficulty of transition so it's expected that we will be in this position for a while but i think barbara the more that you and your team can prove that these health outcomes first of all improve the quality of people's lives secondly begin to flatten the economic curve in terms of healthcare expenditure um, and brings people together in a way that is not de-skilling in the healthcare system, that's a win-win-win for me. Mm, absolutely. You know, I just wanted to share one little pearl of um, actual physical data in terms of, um, like we were talking about outcomes-based um, for our long-term support community partner program. Um, partnered with UMass Medical School to create a dashboard that used all the MassHealth medical and prescription claims to integrate into a master dashboard. And then we looked at it across time from when the person became, you know, involved with us and engaged and had a care plan with a primary care doctor. Well, lo and behold, after, as time went on, we actually have seen, on average, a $275 decrease in the average paid claims per member per month for those people that um, have been engaged in the program. That's just one little snapshot of, um, you know, actual real data yeah. uh, for outcomes that we're seeing in that one particular program right now. Um, and I will say that there are other projects being implemented across our community partner, um, you know, cohorts. Um, but, you know, as you probably both know, you know, building data warehouses, integrating different forms of data, cleaning it and scrubbing it to put it together to actually come to this point takes quite some time. Um, but this is just one little data point that I just wanted to share. Um, 
So, you know, as we get better at integrating the care and the data um, and the claims, then I'm hoping that politically, you know, this will stand true to make an additional platform for people to start and companies to start springing off and thinking about these value-based concepts. Yeah, and it's and again, it might not seem like a lot, but replicate that thousands and thousands of times, and there you have the future of healthcare. Mm, absolutely. Barbara, this has been fascinating, and thank you so much for taking a bit of time today to come and speak to us, and hopefully... We're going to have to do this again in a couple of weeks, because we just kind of yeah. you know, broached the, uh, the top of uh, what's a whole bunch of different conversations can go off of this. Yeah. See, the, the, the thing is, Barbara, when you do such a good job as you just did now, it means you have to come back. <laughs> I have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Barbara. Thank you both. You listen to Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. I'm Chris Ryan with Paul Peter Evers. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Thank you.